It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today, I'm going to do something that I don't think I've done before, except for maybe at the very beginning of this podcast in the first few episodes, Jason, my former co-host, and I uh, dedicated one episode each to each other to talk about who we are and why we were doing the show. And since then, a lot has changed. We recorded that episode probably in... October, November 2019. And I have certainly evolved over that time. But the main reason that I am doing this today is, <laughs> is actually, I, I find it a little amusing. It is a look inside my brain. And have I even said what it is now? Speaking of my brain, I'm like, I don't know if I mentioned it. Okay. So <laughs> what I'm going to do today is kind of quote, interview myself, but I'm using questions that somebody sent me as part of a written interview. I was approached to answer some questions about my work, to be part of this website and virtual magazine called Shout Out LA. And first of all, I have a really hard time writing content like this. I really tend to overanalyze. I've also noticed that writing in general feels really daunting to me. And this ties into what I believe is my neurodivergence. If you have not listened to recent episodes where I've talked about my journey to better understand my brain and coming to a current conclusion that I'm neurodivergent on the spectrum of ADHD and surprising for me, autism, I've been doing a ton of research on what that means to see if my symptoms line up. And I don't even know if symptoms is the right word, traits, the way I work basically. And it's really helped me understand why some things are challenging. And I think that I have done so much masking, which again, if you haven't listened to, I think it was last week's episode maybe where I talked about masking, which is essentially changing yourself into somebody or appearing to be different than you are in order to please others, in order to fit in, in order to get by. I think for me, especially it's shown up in my work and I have felt deeply uncomfortable on levels I never really understood. And all this reflection I've been doing recently is like bringing up old memories of how much I struggled in school, but I taught myself as a way to succeed I taught myself how to pretend or shape myself in some ways, but deep down, I was feeling so much frustration, anxiety, burnout at times, self-esteem issues, so much has been there on the surface, and I got so used to it. I also didn't realize that other people don't function that way. (laughs) So that's part of the reason I'm trying to be more outspoken about it is if I am in fact neurodivergent, which I, by the way, the more I research it, the more complicated this is to figure out. From what I know right now, 
I'm not sure how easy or simple it is to get a diagnosis or even if I really need one. So part of me is just like trying to find the confidence to call myself that. But as I mentioned in the previous episode, I don't want to put myself in a category that I don't really fit into. So yeah, that's complicated. But I bring all that up to explain the way my brain works. And in the context of today's episode, (laughs) my brain found a solution. So I was approached and initially I thought this was going to be more of like, for lack of a better way of describing it, a special interview, like not something a lot of people are approached to. I've been interviewed off and on throughout my life. And sometimes I get like a page in a magazine or something or a page on a website and a feature. And it feels like very much special and unique. And and maybe only a few people get that opportunity at a time or a year, whatever. And to be honest, those are appealing to me because they make me feel special and they thus feel worthwhile. That's what I thought this interview was. But then I dug into what Shoutout is as a company and they feature people all across the country. I don't know if it's outside the US, but in all major cities throughout the country, they feature individuals in these kind of more quote interview styles where a bunch of people are answering the same questions. And honestly, my ego felt a little bit disappointed. I was like, oh, so I'm like probably hundreds of people that have all answered the same questions. Because I didn't feel special or unique, I felt like it diminished the experience, but I had already agreed to do it. I did not want to take back my commitment. So I felt like kind of (laughs) trapped for lack of a better term, to do it. Just because I want to be in integrity with my word. If I say yes to doing something, I want to follow through. But because I struggle with writing, I got incredibly overwhelmed with answering these questions, especially given that my brain tends to work differently when I feel like there's a big reward. And when this reward of feeling special is taken away from me, or not taken away, but when it turns out that the reward I thought I was getting was different than the reward I am getting, it made it even harder for me to complete this. And this is an interesting thing. I don't know if this is a common neurodivergent trait. I'm not sure if it's even worth putting it into a category, but that's certainly something I've struggled with my whole life. I think I mentioned on the last episode, I work best when I have a deadline. (laughs) The guy that sent me the interview questions, like gave me a very open-ended deadline. And I was like, great, I'm not going to submit the questions until the very last day. Or actually, I waited around past the vague deadline he gave me until he followed up again, because him following up showed that he actually cared. And I think this is part of it too, that I feel uncared for in these situations when I don't feel special. And that's something I have to dig deeper into, maybe something worth exploring with the therapist I'm going to go see soon. (laughs) Because I don't know why it's so important for me to feel special. Maybe everybody wants that. Maybe that's just part of how I feel valuable. And the value side of this really ties into the reason I decided to turn this into a podcast episode. When I looked at the questions, they felt really in-depth. And there was a lot of different ways I could answer them. If I was going to do them really quickly, I would probably give more generic answers to them. I went onto the Shoutout LA website and read through some of the answers that other people gave to try to see if or where I could fit in the gaps. 
Because for me, to add value is to do things differently. To add value is to build upon things that other people are doing or to support what they're doing or saying by amplifying it, maybe saying it as well, but not echoing it, perhaps saying it in a different way. That is my goal. And once I saw how many people were interviewed, my brain thought, okay, I don't want to fall into this category of just being another person answering the same questions the same way. And I think that's also where my brain went in this situation, which is like, what is the value to me? Right? Because with things like this, if I'm not getting paid for it, if I'm not going to like build my whole career off of something like this, I'm looking for how can I add value and how can I receive value? And this is, by the way, some people call overthinking, right? Again, this is where I started to suspect I'm neurodivergent. It seems to be a common thing where I'm overthinking something that most people would just do and be done with. Like some people I think would spend 15 minutes answering these questions and move on with their lives. My brain doesn't work that way. I can force it to work that way. I can mask myself into working that way. But I also realized through the situation that I don't want to force my brain into being something that it's not if I don't have to. So the downside is that it takes so much time and energy for me to do something like this interview. I wanted to repurpose it into something else and thus this podcast. And lastly, because my brain tends to work better when I can share things out loud, my goal is to answer the questions as if I was being asked them on a podcast, which is really easy for me. And then to take the transcript of this episode and copy paste it, maybe edit it a little and put it into the interview. (laughs) So that is my process. I, I think it's also worth doing this episode to share that there are unique ways that you can reach your goals, satisfy yourself and do things differently. So I'm going to pull up the questions and answer each of them. Maybe you'll learn a little bit more about me, but my big goal is that the answers that I give add some sort of value. I wish that I could do this in real time and I technically I could have gone live with this episode, but I don't think, you know, my experience with live video these days, like it's really hard to keep people's attentions. But I wish like those of you who are dedicated listeners and really interested, I wish that we could have a real time conversation because another way that my brain works is I really like knowing what's valuable to other people instead of guessing. And I also want to answer these questions in a way that's not only about me, right? I think that's what I see a lot in interviews like this is a lot of people saying things that boost their egos, saying things that, and by the way, I'm sure this boosts my ego on some level. I'm not saying I'm immune to that, but it's a little bit more obvious when someone's like boasting about themselves or whatever. I don't feel comfortable doing that because technically an interview is not just about me feeling good about myself. An interview is so that other people can learn or see things differently, right? So with that said, I'm going to open up the questions and just go through them. I also, part of my process, (laughs) and I laugh because this is another sign that I am likely neurodivergent. I took all the questions copied and pasted them into my Notion. Notion's a really amazing tool for note-taking and organizing. And then I went and looked up every single question in Shoutout 
and read through a bunch of them, took some of their answers as a way for me to kind of reflect on what my answers may be and how they differ. So I may share some of that with you too, as a way of me trying to get to a concise answer for this. Okay. Let's see here. Pulling up my notion. First question. Tell me a bit about your story. What makes it different from other people's stories who have gone through similar things? What was your turning point? My story is about transitioning away from being a people-pleasing perfectionist who placed too much focus on what others thought of me physically, mentally, and emotionally. My first turning point was in college when I started healing from my disordered eating. My second turning point was years later when I transitioned from one career to another that was more fulfilling. Themes in my life have been comparison trap and not enoughness. Now I'm focused more on the internal versus the external. This is what I wrote in advance. Reading that out loud, I feel like that seemed like a good answer. I guess I could just go with it. But again, it definitely feels more about me. And this is the thing too about this interview with Shout Out LA. I get to pick some of the questions so I can skip over them if I don't think they're great. So (laughs) I'm trying to decide, like, do I want to submit an answer to that? I think I actually have to pick one of 10. So I'm going to answer all of them here in this show and then use my gut feeling to decide which one I like better. This is where audience participation would be so amazing for me because like, I don't know from the outside if that is helpful. You know, I think a lot of people identify as being people pleasing and perfectionist, but do they identify with being neurodivergent? That's something that I'm wondering if I should add into my story. And again, it feels iffy for me because I'm a little nervous about using the term neurodivergent. Part of me wants to, but part of me doesn't feel fully ready to call myself that. Although behind the scenes, I actually have started calling myself neurodivergent in contexts where it seems important and I don't know how else to describe the way my brain works. For instance, I use that phrase today to help someone, one of my clients understand my differences. And it just kind of feels like a better word for me than saying I have ADHD or I'm on the autism spectrum those words actually feel uncomfortable for me to use because I think they come with a lot of misconceptions and I'm afraid of being misunderstood, which is a big pain point for me. So back to this question here, I'm going to dig in as if somebody was asking me and not just read my response. The other part that I have trouble with here in my brain is when someone says something so open-ended, like, tell me a bit about your story. I'm like, what part? <laughs> my story. You know, I'm long-winded. I record hour-long podcast episodes that some people could do in 10 or 15 minutes. Maybe that's what makes me different, right? (laughs) The answers are starting to come together as I'm sharing this out loud, which is really helpful for me. Hmm. And maybe that is my angle. Like, What makes my story different from other people who have gone through similar things? Well, I have felt different my whole life. I have felt like an outcast. I felt like I don't fit in. I feel a lot of shame and unworthiness or not enoughness. I think the shame, unworthiness, and not enoughness are actually pretty common things. The burnout is common. But this journey of discovery in terms of how my brain works and why... I think helps me think, gain more clarity 
I mean, I guess you could also say what makes my story different from others. The reason I put that answer about focusing on the internal versus the external, that really ties into Beyond Measure, which is such a huge passion project for me. For those that don't know, I started this online community about two years ago and really kept it under wraps up until a few months ago because it didn't feel, quote, ready to share publicly. So I was inviting people one by one and really taking my time to let it evolve, which I'm really glad that I did. And this, I guess, ties into something else that makes my story different is that I don't want to focus on the external in the sense that it's about my ego. It's about, I guess that ties into the mass game. I bring that up because Beyond Measure is not about money. It's currently free. I've lost money on it. I haven't even calculated it, but I'm spending money every month and time every month to run Beyond Measure, and that's okay. It has been so meaningful to me and the other members in there that money is not the priority. And I think that is a little different. I've been okay with making less money and feeling more personal satisfaction. So maybe I'll put that in there because I feel like that could be valuable to somebody given the ethos of beyond measure is about your inherent worth. Okay. I feel satisfied with that answer. Let's go to the next one. Tell me a bit about the topics you'd like to discuss. How are they different than the topics? Oh, wait a second. What is this? Wait a second. This question seems so weird. I'm like, did this come from something else? Hmm. It did. Okay. (laughs) This is really funny. I pulled some of these questions from something else I did. That is crazy to realize that in real time. Okay. Forget those last two questions. They were helpful for me, but they were not part of this interview. They were part of another one. Okay. Let's... um... (laughs) I'm so embarrassed, but I'm going to keep this in the podcast because these things happen. I'm like turning a little red. And why am I turning red? I, you know, making mistakes, messing up feels uncomfortable for me. But I think that's exactly why I shouldn't edit this part out. It should be like, my process is not perfect. Okay. Here's the first question from shout out. What was your thought process behind starting your own business? And here are some notes I wrote down. One is I wanted to work for myself. And in hindsight, I realize that's the neurodivergence that I'm noticing within myself. I did not work very well in another workplace. I felt it was incredibly difficult for me. This is something that I've been reflecting on a ton as I explore what it means to be neurodivergent is thinking back to how that's shown up in my life. And I started to recall all of these memories, not just in school and my personal life, but in work. And it's been a long time. I quit my last part-time job 10 years ago and my last full-time job 12 years ago. And I remember after specifically quitting that last full-time job in 2010, I felt freedom and fear at the same time. I have strong memories of not knowing what to do with myself and my day without structure. And structure really helps me, but at the same time feels uncomfortable and frustrating because I tend to color outside the line. So maybe structure for me works as long as I have permission to go outside the structure to break it. 
in a lot of work environments, you don't really have that permission. I would see how much I felt or perceived people to kind of be looking down on me in those work environments, especially when I worked in corporate environments. It was like, follow the rules. <laughs> you know, this is what you do so you don't lose your job. And interesting fact about me that came up in a lot of my processing recently is I've been fired, I think officially twice. And I felt so much shame. Actually, three times. Two times were official. One time was when I was working as a temp worker and I was transitioning from a temp job into a permanent job at this one company. And during the transition period, they told me that they were going to hire someone else in my place. So it kind of felt like I was being fired. And that was because I did something that they think they disapproved of. So the first job that I was fired from was right out of college. It was my first job in Los Angeles. And I worked as a receptionist, which is a job I did a ton when I first moved to LA. I had also done a little bit of it in college in Boston. I worked as a receptionist at a, what's it called? It was part of the school, like one of the offices at the school. So I had some experience with it. I really enjoyed parts of it. Although in hindsight, I'm like, did I really enjoy it? Because that sounds like a nightmare now, like answering phone calls and greeting people as a neurodivergent, like that can be feel really uncomfortable. So I kind of wonder like, did either my brain change or was I drawn to elements of that job that made it worthwhile to go through the discomfort? So at this job that I was eventually fired at, I was probably there for a little under three months before they fired me. And I remember not liking the place I was working, but it was a job I needed money. And there was enough about that worked for me. And I remember doing things and constantly feeling on edge like I wasn't doing things right or well. And I could go on and on about that. But you know, to get back on topic, I just didn't feel like I fit in. And the shame I felt when I was fired, it was awful. It was such a bad... I mean, the way they did it, I literally remember feeling like I was going to pass out almost. I was in such shock. I did not see it coming. One day, like one of the higher ups of the company called me into her office and she had this other guy there who was probably like part of HR. I don't even remember. It was so long ago. And they sat me down and they kind of eased into it. And then they said they were letting me go. And I just remember feeling like everything closed in on me and panicked. And I started crying And I asked if I could be given another try, another shot. I said, you know, this is my first job out of college. I can do better. I would like more guidance. And they refused. And they had to escort me out of the building. And it was just like so embarrassing. But I felt so much shame because I felt like I failed. I felt like I didn't fit in. And that happened two more times. Again, like one of them was at a temp job. Also did not feel like I fit in and was doing things differently or I was always kind of like on the border of the rules, you know, like really pushing the limits, not because I'm a rebel, but because again, I naturally just color outside the lines. I'm not somebody who thrives being told what to do. And to me, it's not a rebellious thing or an ego thing. I don't like intentionally 
color outside the lines. I just don't fit the mold. And so I'm trying to fit my own mold within the organization. That's been me more and more, I think, as I've reflected on myself anyway. So that was not a big deal, that job. But the third job was also really mortifying, a little less so because I was older, more experienced, more confident. But it was in an office environment where they did not set expectations. And this is something else as I was doing my neurodivergent research. I learned is that especially people who fall on the autism spectrum really struggle with understanding what to do or what's expected of them unless it's very clear. People on the spectrum tend not to read signals very well. They tend to take things very literally. And I think I felt a lot of shame and probably still do asking for people to be clear with me because I've been told so many times in my life or I've been shamed so many times in my life for not understanding. I'm terrified of being perceived as dumb. And I still have to get to the root of that. Like this is probably tied into the trauma of being neurodivergent. I think people misunderstood me or saw me as not as intelligent because I think differently, because I do things differently. And especially in school systems, there's a lot of structure and rules. And I think I struggled so much with that because it just didn't work for me. But I would try so hard to fit into that mold, but I couldn't. And so even when I was masking, I still felt like I was failing expectations because either the expectations weren't clear or the structure didn't work for me. So it was like this constant fight throughout my life to look smart, intelligent, savvy, whatever. And I think I've convinced a lot of people over time that I am maybe because of these traumas, you know, like the trauma of being fired for me, there was just that deep shame that I would do anything to avoid. So how does that tie into starting my own business? This question, I think my thought process was that I wanted to get out of those constraints. I remember the moments it started to make sense for me on my last full-time job. First of all, I got my dog Evie as a puppy who needed a ton of attention. I was deeply overwhelmed by that because I'd never cared for an animal completely by myself before. And I was, I think, single and I was definitely living on my own at the time and was working a full-time job. And I felt like a mom. Like I was like, this is so shocking, but you don't get time off. And so I had to ask for accommodations. I was working two jobs, actually, one full-time and one part-time. And I had to ask for accommodations. And I remember one of the jobs like was kind of okay with it. The accommodations were mostly being able to go home during my lunch break or have different hours or whatever. Was trying to work it out so that my dog was taken care of. And I remember just feeling like this deep sadness and frustration that they didn't seem to understand. Again, it comes down to this root This is a common theme for me. I got to take some more notes on the being misunderstood. So in addition to Evie, I had a lot of moments at last full-time job where people seemed to be really irritated with me. I remember I had like, I was working in a really small company and it was really cool. This was like one of my favorite jobs overall for these really amazing independent filmmakers in the environmental world. Like it felt like a dream job for me. But there was a lot of disorganization. And when things aren't organized, I deeply struggle because 
that means either I have to be hyper-organized or there's not room for me to be disorganized because we both can't. If nobody's organized, it all falls apart. So I think I felt all this pressure to be organized. And I was still young. <laughs> and this back 2010, so 12 years ago. And uh, I didn't know how to stand up for myself, to ask for what I needed. I felt like I couldn't because I was perceived as this young woman. And also... Everybody else seemed to be following the rules. And that has been another big theme for me of like deep down knowing that the rules don't work for me, but being terrified to stand up for myself. And it felt like the only option for me was to leave. You know, when you don't fit in, you're either going to be fired or you're going to have to choose to leave or you suck it up. So throughout my work history, I was doing one of the three all the time. And none of that worked for me. So I decided one day to leave the job and try to make it on my own. And that led me up to where I am now. So that was a big thing. A few other notes that I wrote down for this is having the fortune of many members of my family having their own businesses. I had always been kind of entrepreneurial growing up, like lemonade stands and babysitting, which was awesome. I knew how to make money. I knew how to get clients. I knew how to get customers. I felt confident in that. I was encouraged to make my own money from a young age too. So I would garage sales and I was just always thinking about money when I was little, which is interesting, right? Given that I don't want my work to be about money now. Money is something that I've always been interested in and excited about, and it definitely motivates me, but it's not the main reason why I do things. I have to kind of reflect on that a little bit more because it sounds contradictory, does it? Okay, so another note I put in here, at that last full-time job I just described, I had kind of like a stroke of luck, I think, coincidental. Like if I were going to say there's like some divine intervention or something, right? Like from a spiritual perspective, it's kind of nuts. The people I was working for were entrepreneurs, mostly known for being filmmakers, but one of them decided to write a book and I was enlisted to help with the book process. (laughs) And it's so funny because 12 years ago, I had like no experience with stuff like that. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was tasked with finding people to interview for this book. This book was like full of interviews of female entrepreneurs who worked in the environmental world and were generating money from it. And it was kind of proof that women are powerful. Women can make money. Women can change the world. They can make money. They can make a difference. And if you're curious about this book, I will link to it in the show notes. Write it down so I don't forget. Anyways, so I got to interview like a hundred women, it felt like, I mean, at least 50 women about how they did their careers. And I learned everything about them and I was so inspired. And by seeing all those female examples, I felt the courage to do it myself. And you know, it's really interesting and I'm recognizing in this very moment in real time, that book is very similar to the Shout Out LA project. (laughs) And I think it's actually helping me understand the value. Maybe the individuals in that book did not feel that special because they were just one out of 50 or 100 women we featured. I can't remember the number. But each of them had their strengths. And what we did, which I thought was really smart with this book, is 
we took their answers and then pulled out the most valuable parts of them and then categorized it based on pieces of advice so that an entrepreneur, a female entrepreneur in particular, could pick up this book and kind of see a course of action laid out for them based on these women's stories. So maybe if I reframe the shout out LA interview in that way, I can find the value in giving other people. Like it's not just about me being special, but it's about the collective guidance that a lot of people share. Okay. Next question. I feel like I spent so much time on that question. I probably could interview here, but I'm going to try to do a little bit more at least. How does your business help the community or the world? Well, one thing that I'm very focused on right now is helping people reduce overwhelm. I have narrowed that down as a skill of mine because the way my brain works, I'm able to see solutions very quickly and creatively. And this has been a major skill, especially working for myself and getting clients and my freelance work. I feel like I have almost a gift for helping take the burden off somebody else. Now, I have still have a lot of work to do on that end because I think based on the way I talk and the ideas I have, I can easily overwhelm people with my ideas. So one thing I'm trying to hone in is like, I'll just go and go. The ideas just come to me and I'm like, solution, solution. Look at all the stuff we can try. But I see the looks on people's faces when I'm coaching them sometimes where they're like, this is a lot of information. I also have the ability to not get overwhelmed with ideas for other people. I get very overwhelmed in my life all the time. Every day, I feel overwhelmed. But somehow it's different. Like my brain kind of compartmentalizes it. So all the ideas I see for other people, I can lay it out in a plan and I can help them pace it out and I can guide them through and hold them accountable. I'm still working on that. That's something I have major passion for and I want to be really good at. But it's complicated to figure that out. There's a lot of psychology involved there. So that's one way that I think I can help the community. But in a major way, the well-being side of my work is to me currently at least, the major way that I can help my community and the world. So my community could be Beyond Measure. That's at the core of the Beyond Measure community, which is bringing people together in a safe place with like-minded people and having conversations without judgment and talking about all different elements of well-being personally and professionally. I'm also integrating well-being into all of my work, especially this neurodivergent journey that I'm on right now. I'm thinking not just for myself, but for others in that if I can better understand how other people think and feel and process information, all of this, I feel like that in itself is part of well-being. Because for me, my well-being has been really challenging Whenever I feel like I don't fit in, whenever I feel misunderstood, I feel so much shame. I feel unworthiness. I feel this not fitting in. Like those are really tough emotions. Like the sadness, the depression I felt. In fact, also overwhelm can trigger a lot of anxiety for me and I think many other people and lead to burnout. And it can be confusing sometimes. When I was younger, 
the very first time I think I'd seen a therapist, I went to see a psychiatrist. I was in my first year of college and I went to the psychiatrist initially because of my disordered eating. But she identified very quickly that the disordered eating seemed to be tied to something else. Now, what's interesting is that there are some correlations between disordered eating or eating disorders and neurodivergence. I've been wanting to study that more to see if there's a tie in there. But she was able to attribute the reason I was treating my body and food the way that I was back then to my relationship with my mother. And somehow we went down this path where I was treated for depression. And I remember that not feeling quite right. And so as I've been reflecting on who I am and what my life has been like, and if neurodivergence plays a role there, I remembered this time in college when I first started taking medication to treat my depression. I remembered physically how I felt. And that feeling never went away with medication. That feeling has remained with me throughout my life since and probably has already been with me. And that feeling has been like this deep frustration and this deep sadness and feeling like I don't have support, feeling like I don't fit in, feeling like I'm being judged, feeling like I'm not doing things right, like all of those emotions. And I wonder if those were mainly related to my brain working differently in a world that's not set up for my brain. And without a diagnosis at a young age, nobody knew this about me. I didn't know it about myself. So I've spent most of my life going through the world feeling like constant shame, constant disappointment, constantly an outcast, like all of these emotions, but masking it so well that nobody noticed it. And I just assumed everybody goes through this. I just assumed this is just part of life. And I think this ties into the well-being side as I often wonder what would my life professionally and personally be like, have been like, if I was more understood and I was more supported, if I felt like people were really taking the time to help me. And when I think about the rare times that that has happened for me, unfortunately, it brings me the greatest comfort. And I noticed that in all sorts of small interactions. So if I can offer that to other people, it feels like I'm able to give to others what I don't always receive and have rarely received in my life. And that's what Beyond Measure came from. It was like, I knew that I wasn't the only one feeling this way. And I didn't want to be constantly judged for the external because so much of my external feels like a mask, right? <laughs> like people are seeing whatever on the outside over they're perceiving me, but they don't, if they don't take the time to know what's deep inside me to, to understand my heart and my soul, they don't really know me. So Beyond Measure came out of this idea of like, I want to connect with the internal elements of people and just like try to shed these layers of the external. And that's what it's become. It's like the most rewarding thing. And one of my big goals with this shout out interview is to talk about Beyond Measure. So I think I should tie this into that story. Okay. This episode has gone on the longer side. So there are a few other questions, but let me see. One of them I'm really drawn to is how do you know whether to keep going or give up? 
And I feel drawn to this because I see a lot of people who struggle with to keep going. And I do too sometimes, even though I have a lot of perseverance, even though I feel like this large sense of being motivated and and inspired and like I'm someone that can get up off the ground and do things and I can rally. I also have felt smaller versions of this question of wanting to give up. And I even feel like the word give up isn't quite right here. I feel like pause could be the word. And I tend to do a lot of pausing to reflect. So certainly there are projects that I've paused and never returned to. (laughs) If you have been part of my online journey for a significant amount of time, like I have numerous YouTube channels, even the podcast YouTube channel has been on pause for like four or five months because it's incredibly overwhelming to me. It's not abandoned. It's just paused. And I look at most of my projects as a pause. Maybe that's because I don't see things in this black and white as finished ever because nothing's really finished until the end of our lives, in my opinion. It ain't over till it's over, right? Like, I think we have these ideas of giving up, but... Like when people ask me about Eco Vegan Gal, which is the brand that I, or the avatar and the name that I use for many years, I guess I wouldn't say that I gave up. I say that I transitioned because that is the truth. Eco Vegan Gal is a name no longer served me, but a lot of the root of Eco Vegan Gal is still part of everything I do. I've evolved as a human being. I don't use that. I ask people not to call me that anymore. It's going to take a very long time. And if people, they may perceive it as giving up, but that's just not the truth of the situation, right? So I think if the question were, how did you know when to move on from something? How did you know when you to transition away from something? Or how did you know when to pause? I would say when it didn't resonate with me on an ongoing basis. Like with Eco Vegan Gal, I felt it in small ways and it kind of evolved over time. I felt it pick up in intensity. I noticed that it just kind of like, it gave me the ick. I love that term. (laughs) People say this about like relationships, you know, see this a lot on TikTok. It's like (laughs) when you get the ick in a relationship, I always laugh at the examples on TikTok. Because, you know, usually it's like light fun, but they'll show like a video of somebody doing something and the caption or the comments will be like, this is when I got the ick, you know, and couldn't date this person anymore. Or, you know, people will show a video of their partner and other people in the comments say, if it were me, I w- that would have given me the ick. So, you know, I think Eco Vegan Gal started to give me the ick. It just feels, it's just not me. I'm like, eh. It's a name that served me for a while, but it also limited me. So that's part of this too, right? It's like feeling limited, feeling the ick, feeling no longer in alignment. You kind of know. It's almost similar to knowing when to leave a relationship, right? Just like the ick factor. It's like you go through a big heartbreak. You go through a really tough time. And it's pretty rare for me to fully cut things off, even romantically. You know, sometimes those linger for a while and kind of dissolve. But the feelings are always there, even when you're no longer in the relationship. I guess that's a rare example of something feeling over, right? But then at the same time, 
it's also possible that a romance will come back around. There's plenty of cases of somebody who broke up and dated other people and then got back together with somebody years later, you know? It's the thing, like, how do we know when something's ever really over for good? I just don't know if that exists. But I do like this question. I think that, oh, the last one I really feel compelled to answer, well, in this section of questions, there are a few more that I kind of have to answer that I'll get to before I wrap up this episode. But the last one in the optional category of questions is how do you define success? And for me, that is very simple. It comes down to feeling satisfied and feeling enough. I went through so many times in my life where success felt like this really big thing, this milestone. And a lot of it was based on the external, but now I'm very focused on the internal and redefining, redefining what success means based on what I believed it to be, but also defining it for myself, making it my own. Because I usually don't feel that satisfied or enough. I'm working on it, but that's usually based on the external. Like you're never going to have enough followers. So silly. Are you ever going to feel successful in your relationship? Maybe not. Relationships are constantly going through waves and shifts and stuff. Like that's something as an adult I find really fascinating. I grew up with this idea that like once you found the quote one, you were done. It's like the Disney fairy tales. Your life is all perfect once you get married. And you know, the Disney fairy tales never share what happens after marriage. I've never been married before, but in my relationships my long relationships, I've realized like they're hard, you know? And if you're going to stay together, that in itself is a success if you can work through it, but it doesn't always feel good. My work life is very similar to that in that I have moments of feeling great and high and excited and like, this is, you know, amazing. Everything's going well. And then the same day, I could feel absolutely awful. The smallest things could trigger me to feel inadequate. I'm trying to think, I feel like that happened to me the other day and I was really surprised by it. I was like, wow, why is this making me feel so bad about myself? Not that the situation was making me feel anything, but I was reacting to it. It triggered me to feel that inadequacy. I think it might've been, oh yeah, I was a few few days ago, I kind of similar to the shout out experience where I was invited to ask a question to Mark Cuban. He was speaking on stage in Los Angeles, and I didn't go in person. I was invited to ask him a virtual question. It was a really cool setup. This, If you have listened to any of my episodes that I've done on the Fireside app, that's something I've been working on recently. And Mark Cuban is one of the founders of this app, which is a live audio and video-based app, kind of like Clubhouse, but a lot of different features And because I've been involved with Fireside for the last month or so, they invited me to ask Mark Cuban a question in this live broadcast they had about Web3 content. So I was really excited and I felt like super special. And I got to be the first person to ask a question. And I was like, this is great. I asked a question and it just didn't feel like it resonated. I thought it was going to be a wise question, you know, and I was forming it in my head, but... It didn't land. I, even with Mark Cuban, who, by the way, he was on the stage with a few other people. And so they all kind of collectively answered my question. That in itself, cool, right? I'm not just discounting that. Like Charlie Sheen and some of the people from Entourage, the TV show, like they all answered my question. Awesome. But 
they didn't answer it in a way where I felt like they got it. So that triggered me to feel misunderstood. And then I felt shame or embarrassment or guilt. I don't know. Exactly. They're three separate things. I need to go back and restudy some of Brene Brown's definitions on those. But whatever emotion it was, I felt at least embarrassed. I guess it wasn't guilt. Maybe it was just embarrassment. But usually embarrassment leads me to feeling shame. It's like all of a sudden, I went from feeling like so privileged to be able to ask a question to feeling like I asked such a bad question and I started beating myself up like, how embarrassing, totally botched this chance to impress Mark Cuban or the entourage guy, whatever. Like you made yourself a fool. Like why couldn't you have been smarter? Like all of these voices came out of the woodwork, right? Of like, why didn't you do better, Whitney? And so that just sat with me and literally, it just started spiraling. Like I started thinking of the woman that invited me to ask the question, like, does she think I'm a complete idiot because the way my question came out? Like, is she disappointed in me? Am I going to get an opportunity like this again? You know, again, I can go on and on like all of this. And it was literally like maybe a one minute long experience that triggered likely hours of self-esteem issues with me. And this is coming back to the well-being side of things. Like, I think I'm not alone in this. Even if someone's neurotypical and not struggling with the things that a neurodivergent person does, they're probably struggling with shame and anxiety or depression or burnout or overwhelm, like all of these things that many of us experience on some level. And I know a lot of people don't feel like they're enough And I know a lot of people have self-esteem challenges. And I know a lot of people probably mask so well that you would never know that about them. I don't even know how this ties in. Like, I guess defining success, my point being is like, it's a roller coaster. So if you're, I've been training myself over the years to allow those emotions to come to process. Like, I don't want to have shame and feeling shame. That has been another pattern of mine. So In order to feel success, I guess, I have to allow myself not to feel successful. Like that's part of the process. And I'm just allowing it. I'm like, okay, my inner self is throwing a bit of a tantrum. She's crying. She's turning red, you know. By the way, did you see that movie? I love that movie, kind of like Inside Out, which are both beautiful representations of the emotional roller coasters kids go through. So what if we just imagined ourselves to be those kids who are throwing tantrums, crying, embarrassed, uncomfortable, you know, all those roller coasters. We still go through that as adults. But if we mask them, if we pretend we don't go through them, then they're just like pushed down or like we're hiding it from others. Again, kind of like turning red. I haven't really thought about it in this way. But like, this isn't spoiling it, I don't think. I'll say it very vaguely. And this also happens at the beginning of the movie. There's a lot of like hiding, like hiding who you are, hiding your ancestry, hiding your relationship with your parents, like trying to fit in with your friends at school. Like I think most of us have had those experiences and maybe that's how we're taught to mask, right? So I don't want success to be defined as something that's the result of a mask. I don't want success to be defined as my external projection. I don't want success to be defined by what other people think of me, how they react to me, because I can't control that as much as I could try. 
I'm probably going to disappoint some people. As much as I try, people may misunderstand me. I mean, you can use this question to Mark Cuban and the rest of them on stage. I thought it was a really good question. Like I remember thinking it through and thinking of how I was going to ask it. And I write it down, you know, my typical overthinking and feeling really confident when I asked the question. (laughs) But so I didn't have control over how they answered it. I didn't have control over whether they understood me. And I have a tendency to see other people's reactions to me and internalize it. What if I worked on feeling firm in how I feel about what I'm doing before other people respond to it? And maybe that'll translate to when they respond to it in a way that doesn't feel good to me or isn't what I expected. Can I still come back around to how I felt before I got that feedback? That to me would be like the greatest version of success. (laughs) If I could go through life being myself, unmasked, confident in who I am, loving myself, feeling enough, that would be a success. Okay. Quickly, some of these questions actually tie into what I've already said. So let me see if anything else comes to mind. I have two more questions. One is... What sets you apart from others? What are you most proud of or excited about? Obviously, beyond measure and a lot of the things I've said today, I'm naturally set apart from others if I'm neurodivergent, right? How did you get to where you are professionally? Was it easy? I think I've already talked about that journey. Certainly not easy. If not easy, how did you overcome the challenges? Exactly what I just said. I'm experimenting. I guess experimenting has been... And not giving up, being flexible. Trying to take notes as I'm (laughs) doing this. Okay. What are the lessons you've learned along the way? Already answered that. What do you want the world to know about you or your brand and story? I think I've answered that too. Okay, great. And lastly, this one's kind of fun. I'm excited to answer this one out loud. Let's say your best friend was visiting Los Angeles and you wanted to show them the best time ever. Where would you take them? Give us a little itinerary. Say it was a week-long trip. Where would you eat, drink, visit, hang out? In your view, what are some of the most fun and interesting, exciting people, places, or things to check out? Well, this is simultaneously easy and hard for me because when my sister visited me last year for the first time in like 10 years, I came up with an itinerary. I blocked it all out off the top of my head. If I had to really narrow it down to like one place to eat, it's so tough. I'm so nuanced because I would modify it to what that person's palate was. But the very first place that comes to mind, I'm a little torn, but literally the first place that came to mind is called Pura Vita. It's a vegan Italian restaurant and it's got an amazing atmosphere, great service if you're sitting down a really impressive menu with unique items. And I don't know that many people who don't like Italian food. They have pizza, they have pasta, they have breadsticks and focaccia. Focaccia, is that how you pronounce it? Or bruschetta. Is focaccia part of an, I don't know. But, you know, all those traditional Italian foods. And it's so lovely because they're very accommodating to gluten-free eaters. I don't think their menu has much, if any, soy. So it's really easy to navigate that. So that would probably be the number one place we would eat. Drink depends on what type of drinks you mean. When I think of drink these days, I think of coffee. (laughs) But I'd probably pick a place that also has good tea and other beverages. And that's tough. But right now I have a friend 
who's visiting Los Angeles. And we're going to meet at this coffee shop called Verve. And I really narrowed it down because Verve has a very nice atmosphere. They have fantastic coffee. They also have like baked goods and other drinks there. So it kind of like fits for everyone. Where would you visit? I would probably say there, I mean, there's so much to do in Los Angeles, but if I had to pick one place, the first thing that comes to mind is called the Huntington Gardens in Pasadena because it's outdoors and it's beautiful and it's just, you know, you get to, depending on where you're traveling from, drive through a lot of different parts of Los Angeles to get there. It's not super pricey, but I'm trying to think what my sister and I did when she visited that she really enjoyed. We did actually drive up to Sebastopol, which is out above San Francisco, so not part of Los Angeles. Then we drove down the coast and went to Big Sur for my very first time and like did all these cool things. So we spent a lot of our time doing that. I'm trying to think what we did in LA that she really liked. I think just, you know, walking around some of the streets here for shopping where you could see the culture of LA and maybe go into some different shops for window shopping. So we did a lot in West Hollywood, which I feel like is a nice thing. I mean, of course there's the touristy things to do, but you know, it depends on your the type of person. <laughs> it's so tricky. Every time someone comes to visit me in LA, I get stuck with this. But I think for this answer, I would say the Huntington Gardens probably. But I might change my mind. Okay, hang out. Well, if the hangout is an option too, then I would say hang out in West Hollywood because that's where Pure Vita is. That's where Verve is. There's tons of great shops out here. There's celebrity sightings if you are into that. Like it's just kind of a cool vibe. So I guess that would be my answer. In my view, what are some of the most fun, interesting, exciting people, places, or things to check out? I think I already answered that. But in terms of fun... I guess the Huntington Gardens could be perceived as fun. But West Hollywood, what's really neat about West Hollywood is they've got incredible restaurants, also bars if you're into drinking. Some of the bars or restaurants here also have non-alcoholic cocktails. So you could just spend your entire trip in West Hollywood. In fact, another restaurant that's really neat, especially if you're into going to see celebrities, is called Craig's. It's a fancy restaurant. It's a little on the pricey side. Pricing meaning like entrees are probably between $20 to $30 versus like Pura Vida, I think is most things are at most like 20 something, like probably between $15 to $20. Pura Vida is also a, a little on the fancy side. But anyways, Craig's is a really cool place because it's known for having paparazzi outside because there's almost always someone famous in that restaurant. So if you're looking to see someone famous, a celebrity of some sort, Craig's is one of the best places for that. And when I took my sister there, I went for the very first time. They have a great vegan menu and great service, cool atmosphere. I really love that experience. You just have to be willing to pay a little bit more money for it. So it's definitely interesting, fun, and exciting. And I feel like I want to think of one other thing. The other interesting place to go to, I don't know if my sister and I ended up going there, it's called Air One. And Air One is this grocery store that is also known for celebrities and interesting food. And it's just like got a very LA feeling to it. So you could go in there and just find a bunch of really interesting food to buy and enjoy it at home. Or you can sit outside and they have tables there and their locations 
several across Los Angeles. So you could go and just kind of bask in the experience and probably spend a lot less than you would at some of the restaurants here, but get a lot of interesting excitement out of it. And if you enjoy going to grocery stores, it's really fun. So that's my answer. I think that's it. I think I have made it through these questions. I hope that you found this valuable. I actually feel like I want to thank you for listening because recording this is really helpful in me processing these questions. It made it more fun for me. Certainly, this took me an hour, so it's a ton of time, and I still need to go through the transcript and craft my written questions. But this process felt deeply satisfying, and I wanted, I needed to actually record an episode anyway. So I fed two birds in one hand, I think is a nice way of saying that. So I appreciate you. I would love to hear any of your thoughts. I know I talked about a lot of things today. If I overwhelmed you, that was not my intention. And you know, speaking of which, I love to learn from others. You know, how does your brain work? Do you get overwhelmed? Do you get bored, frustrated? Do you like long-winded shows like this? Are they too long? Like, I just love feedback. Even if I'm not going to change, I just like to learn how other people think and feel. And I just want you to know that that is always welcome through social media. Uh, you can go to the Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Instagram account. I am very active on Twitter under Wit and W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. I'm active on, on that Instagram as well too. It's very easy to direct message me and leave me audio messages if you want. Those are my two favorite platforms, LinkedIn. I also spend a good, decent amount of time and I don't spend as much time on Facebook, but you can reach me there too. I'm very reachable. Another thing that I've been working on behind the scenes is getting someone to help me answer emails because I really struggle with that. So if you email me, I'm working on having a faster response time. But I love to remind you and everyone who I tell about emails, like just because I don't respond, A, doesn't mean I never will. It could take me weeks, months, or even a year to respond to you. But my intention is always to respond I have a whole queue of emails that I aim to respond to someday. But I read every single email that comes in, unless like newsletters, I don't always read those, but like personal emails, personal messages on social media, I read it all. I just really struggle to write back. So I'm working on a new system for that. And I just want you to know you are welcome to reach out to me. And the best way right now to connect with me is through Beyond Measure because every week I have a live call with the other members. It is a discussion. It is a getting to know each other feeling. It is accepting and loving and nourishing. And it just brings me so much joy. So if you want to be part of it, there is a link to it in the description. I would love to have you part of it so I can get to know you, your heart, and your mind better. Thank you so much for being here. I'll be back again on Friday with a guest. Let's see who I have lined up for you. Ooh, 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 ooh. This is, wait, wait, right? Okay, I got really excited, but there's always a few people. This next episode is really great, but who I thought it was is actually next week. So if you haven't subscribed to this show yet, I highly recommend it. I love every single guest on here. I hope that you don't miss them. Uh, there are episodes every Friday with guests and every Monday is just me talking. So <laughs> if you're not a fan of this style, at least the guest episodes will bring you 
hopefully some joy and satisfaction. So you find out who my ooh, ooh, ooh reaction was to by staying tuned and hope to have you in an upcoming episode. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.